RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. In- Good evening, everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Saturday Night Livestream. Joining me in the studio tonight for the very first time, very pleased to welcome Dane Wigington. He is the lead researcher and administrator for the website Geoengineering Watch. He's also an executive producer on a number of groundbreaking documentaries on this subject, most recently The Dimming. It's available to watch for free on his YouTube channel. So I would say that if you haven't had the opportunity to watch that, certainly after the show tonight, you're going to want to go ahead and do that. Now, uh, we have in Dean someone with experience in a number of industries, both solar and energy, and he spent the last 20 years of his life in constant research of this issue to determine what's going on with covert global climate and climate engineering and so much more. So if you wouldn't mind, please do me a favor, share the show, hit the like button or the red pill, no matter which platform you're on, and I would sincerely appreciate it. Looks like we've already got a couple of questions coming in in the chat. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and drop those again after we get back from the break. All right, without further ado, sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn. We're going to be right back after this. So recently, I've told you guys about a breakthrough new anti-aging remedy that I've been using that keeps me energized all day long. I just take a teaspoonful of C60 Evo olive oil in the morning, and I notice better mental focus, flexibility, and physical endurance. Now, it's rare to feel improvements this quickly. I also end up sleeping deeper at night, so it's really helpful. Their peptide and ESS60 hair and lotion renewal formulas are exceptional because they really work. And C60 Evo's lab has been manufactured manufacturing this Nobel Prize winning miracle molecule for 32 years in their Houston, Texas Patriot owned lab. ESS60 is the upgraded version of the carbon 60 molecule. It's specifically made for both people and pets. It's a potent and effective way for people's lives to be improved all around the world. So maximize your health and enjoy noticeable results with C60 Evo organic edible oils, skin serums, and pet products. You can buy with confidence from C60 Evo, and you can use my personal code for a discount at checkout. Simply go to c60evo.com forward slash redpill78. And then when you're there, use code redpill78 for an additional 10% off your entire order. Once again, that's c60evo.com forward slash redpill78. And when you support my sponsors, you support. All right. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking around through that break. And please join me in welcoming my esteemed guest for this evening, Mr. Dane Wigington. Dane, how are you, sir? 
Well, I'm not sure how to answer that question, Zach, given the state of the world. I'm doing my best. And the only solace I can find is to fully face this rising sea of total insanity and do my very best to try to expose it and halt it. It's not a job I wanted. I'm not politically oriented. I'm not an activist, but I can't look at myself in the mirror, my children in the eye, if I don't engage in this fully. And I'll leave with this. What we face, the converging catastrophes that are closing in on all of us and the collective insanity of those in power, this threat is far more grave and far more immediate than almost any are yet willing to acknowledge. Well, I have to say, I I definitely agree with you. And I would call you, I guess, a reluctant activist, because no matter whether you wanted to do this work or not, God has an interesting way of putting people exactly where they're needed and uh, exactly where they can do the work that they're destined to do. And I would say that's certainly what has been happening with you in your life. So the last several decades, you have dedicated yourself to exposing this climate geoengineering uh, farce that's been going on. What's most interesting to me, Dane, is that uh, until very recently, the work that you've done and the questions you've asked have been kind of relegated to the fringes of uh, scientific investigation. You you would have been called a a conspiracy theorist at one point in the past. But in recent years, there's been this kind of strange phenomenon where the, the, the reality of geoengineering has been admitted by both government and uh, private industries. And now they're talking about it as if it is the only thing that's going to save us. How has that been? There hasn't been an outright admission to these operations. There's an admission, of course, of weather modification. Mm -hmm. And that may be what you're referring to. And I want to separate those two arenas. The publicized weather modification operations, which typically consist of a single engine propeller driven aircraft with some flares tied on the wings, That is simply mass distraction designed to make people think that this is really quite benign what they're doing in our skies and pay no attention to the military tanker KC-135 carrying 100 tons of toxic material in a single payload. Geoengineering being very different than weather modification, actually completely negating any claims of weather modification doing anything because we're talking about the 800-pound gorilla being climate engineering and weather modification being a, a, a simply a paper cup, if you will, in this equation. So, the but the profound part is, and you're correct, completely correct in this, Zach, that isn't it truly astounding that we have the entire so-called climate science community, perhaps a dozen articles a day at this point, stating that they want to immediately deploy exactly what we see in our skies, jet aircraft dispersing particles that will scatter out, turn skies filthy white, block the sun. Oh, by the way, this may destroy the ozone layer. It will disrupt the hydrological cycle. Everything that's already happening and the materials named in these climate engineering patents are what's showing up. And we know that this is, this is shown on film in the dimming documentary. We took a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration flying lab to altitude, top scientists, sampled what heavy aircraft were emitting, processed that sample at one of the world's most renowned testing institutions, RPI in New York, and found exactly what we knew we would find. Climate engineering elements, starting with aluminum nanoparticles. So isn't it profound that we have the official sources and so-called climate science community denying this issue, telling us we're not seeing what we're seeing But if we were to see it, it would look like exactly what we are seeing. We live in an asylum, absolute asylum. 
It's uh, basically a mirror world. Uh, this is certainly not what I thought I was going to be existing in as I grew up as a kid. You know, I mean, I, what really turned me on to this subject uh, was as a, a very young child watching the skies and witnessing them in their beautiful blue splendor. And then at a certain point in the mid 80s, I really began to take notice of these trails that would not dissipate in the sky. And uh, and I started looking into it. And I learned the difference between a contrail and what others refer to as a chemtrail. And it became quite obvious to me that these were two totally different phenomenons. And as I grew older, it seemed like they became more and more frequent. Uh, and then I even read a couple of articles, Dane, uh, as a young man, which purported to suggest that the sky was never really blue. Our eyes were lying to us. It was some sort of trick of the light. And truly, at the end of the day, the sky was supposed to be this kind of hazy, grayish, whitish melange uh, of just, you know, blah. Uh, and now, moving to Florida... I see blue skies all the time. Uh, I see beautiful, full, fluffy white clouds uh, that are absolutely nothing like the contrails and chemtrails that I used to see when I lived up north. Do you think that there is a nationwide or a, 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 I guess at, at that rate, a, a global uh, effort to blanket the world or is it being done regionally for specific goals in specific areas? It is most definitely global. Let me back into this equation. You, you can't geoengineer over your own country without affecting the whole world. Again, we're not speculating on the fact that it's global. We have, for example, a Senate document 800 pages long posted at geoengineeringwatch.org under massive Senate document, that title, that specifically outlines the global cooperation even between, quote, otherwise adversarial nations. So regardless of the surface tensions, they are all working together with climate engineering. Certainly the same was true with COVID. And those two issues are inseparable as well. In regard to what you're not seeing, perhaps you're seeing much of over whatever particular area of Florida you're in, we hear from many in Florida and other areas that are absolutely seeing lots of it. It might depend on where you're at. You might be in a very lucky geographic area or zone. And backing up to your initial outline of a a quote, uh, condensation trail compared to an atmospheric aerosol dispersion. Even what most now believe to be a quote, condensation trail because it dissipates shortly after the dispersion, that in all likelihood can be a fuel additive that is being used for the same purposes. <laughs> so it depends on the aircraft. And we know with all military tankers, all commercial carriers are fitted with what's known as a high bypass turbofan jet engine. It's a jet powered fan. 90% of the air that moves through that engine is not combusted. And for that reason, it's nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. These engines are very different than historical jet engines. So when we see a short, bright trail that seems to dissipate, what we often see is that the skies eventually become more and more silvery white. It's very subtle, but it's definitely there. If you block the sun with something and you see a big aura around the sun, you know that atmosphere is full of particulate matter. So chances are any, any bright trail you're seeing behind an aircraft is likely a dispersion of one form or another, whether it's a sprayed particle dispersion or a fuel additive. So again, this is global. The contamination is global, aside from the effect on weather. And I want to stress, these programs are not benign. This is weather warfare, period. There's no public disclosure, no environmental impact. We see agricultural regions now being targeted. 
And the particulate matter that we're breathing, Zach, is unimaginably harmful. There's studies out every week confirming this from polymer particles to heavy metal particles. And when you combine all these, you get what's called synergistic toxicity. It's a wonder any of us are walking and talking. We have peer-reviewed study now to prove these elements are lodging in our internal organs, in our brains. These are recent studies, even some a week old. And this contamination, again, ubiquitous all over the planet, from North Pole, South Pole, top of Mount Everest, there's not a single uncontaminated drop of rain on planet Earth that's backed up with peer-reviewed science study. So I know that your team in uh, What in the World Are They Spraying, you did soiled samples in California. Uh, can, have you gone all over the world? Have you gone to all continents to, to do your own independent sampling? Or are, are you also relying on the research of other scientists? We don't have the resource to blanket the entire globe, but we are communicating with others on the other side of the world. I was just invited by Romanian parliament to to go there and communicate with them. Wow. And we were supplying them data. So, I mean, we have far reaching from, from the Southern hemisphere as well, South America to Australia. We're communicating with people in many regions. In regard to soils, this is what becomes confusing for many because you can have those in the so-called science community trying to defend their denial of this issue by claiming, and, and the first part of this is correct, that aluminum is a very abundant element in our strata and therefore we should expect to see it everywhere here's what they're not telling you aluminum does not exist in the environment in free form period if you find it in free form it has been mined refined and dispersed we're finding free form aluminum what's that doing to soil ph and again this is where our research has been so important because we have contacts that have helped us to find baseline values you have to have those baselines to determine what has changed So in in Northern California, I have in my possession the USDA historical baseline values for pH. I have the originals. So we have subsequently tested and we have noted, and some of this testing is done with USDA soil scientists that I know that won't speak on the record. They're worried about their paychecks and pensions, which won't, won't matter much longer. We've seen pH changes here in the forest around Lake Shasta, where I live off grid in the middle of a habitat preserve. 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. Mm. That's inconceivable. That is so much heavy metal loading in the rain that it's slaughtering, annihilating soil microbiome. It's affecting root systems, killing the trees from the roots up. And again, these particle dispersions are destroying the ozone layer, releasing immense amounts of UV radiation. It's killing the trees from the top down. Zach, have you felt on a very clear day how hot surfaces can be in your car, how fast your car heats up? Yes. That's extraordinarily high UV radiation that is not being reported. The entire system is total deception. They're reporting on half the UVB spectrum and none of the UVC spectrum. So, of course, they get a reading that's not accurate. It's completely disinformation. From every available direction, they are trying to falsify data to mask the severity of damage done while at the same time inflicting even more damage. So, I'm sorry to rant back to your original question on the soils. Yes, this is killing soil microbiome, which means you're killing soils, which means you're turning soil into dirt. You cannot grow food in dirt. Well, I remember in one of your first documentaries, uh, you had produced it uh, uh, right around the time that 
Monsanto was coming out with some interesting seeds that were resistant to these specific constituents that you guys were finding. Have you seen any other uh, response directly from commercial sources like that uh, trying to amend the products they offer to get around these problems you're identifying? They're trying, but think about the insanity of that. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's uh, if you're on, if you're neck deep on a sinking boat uh, to try to, Build another boat. Ending <laughs> on that, it's, it's not going to help it, right? So, yeah. so yeah, we have UV resistant seeds now as well. Okay. But if we have functional collapse of the ozone layer, and that's not centuries away, it's not decades away, and the current trajectory that may happen in the next two to three years. If functional collapse happens, we can't grow food anymore. Plankton are done, and we already see today. Again, I want to express. We're not speculating about something that someday could, may, might happen. It's here. So with plankton decline and and the extraordinarily high UV radiation is the single greatest cause of plankton die-off. 90% crash in the Atlantic today, now. 90%. No plankton, no people. Very simple equation. The food chain in the oceans are absolutely collapsing. Salmon industry collapsing. Other fisheries collapsing. Tuna, 98% of bluefin tuna catch is gone 90 90% of all pelagic fish populations gone so the gravity of what's unfolding cannot be overstated and in addition to using weather as a weapon and there's no question about this again we can speculate zach about the agendas and objectives of those in power and i think it's we can speculate very accurately on that but aside from that speculation we know for certain that they are targeting agricultural regions because we can see their activities on satellite imagery. Mm-hmm. So again, for those that say, why would they do this? Why would they use weather as a weapon? And my response would be, why wouldn't they? This is, this is the crown jewel weapon of the military industrial complex, the weapon with which they can bring populations to their knees without those populations ever even knowing they're mm-hmm. under assault. So again, if we don't stop what's happening in our skies soon, all other causes, all other concerns will be moot. Well, I, I definitely agree with you. And, and I think you're totally right uh, about this. Uh, you know, why wouldn't they want to do that? You have that uh, quote from Lyndon B. Johnson, you know, he who controls the weather controls the world. And in my own research, going back and looking at this, the, the earliest mentions of any of this stuff was, you know, how the United States government, and the DOD wanted to use weather as a weapon, because obviously they would want to do it because it would give them an edge. They're always looking for some sort of military edge. I, I would like to speculate on some of those uh, uh, the, the reasoning. Why in the hell would they be okay with doing this? I mean, I think that personally, this is my opinion. I think there is some sort of an extinction agenda at play here. But the people who are behind what we're seeing, I mean, they are essentially ensuring their own demise at the exact same time. I mean, if we're talking about mass die-offs of, uh, you know, integral portions of the food chain, you know, our ability to grow food, the plant life that they claim to be protecting by shutting down carbon dioxide, I mean, it just seems totally counterintuitive. What do you think is really happening behind the scenes here? Well, well certainly, Zach. And thank you for asking that question because it is extraordinarily important. It's a question that often stops many from investigating any further because they tell themselves, quote, they, those in power, wouldn't do this to themselves. And that is unfortunately not a valid reason to ignore this issue. 
because we have too many examples of what they, and they ultimately lead to the central bankers, those who control the central bankers. That's the top of this food chain. That's who prints the money. Thus they own militaries, thus they own countries. And, and so if we look at what they've done to themselves, 2,400 nuclear detonations Mm -hmm. that contaminated everything on planet earth, but they did it anyway. I I like to point out project starfish prime to people and they can look up what that was. That was the, U.S. military programs to detonate hydrogen bombs in the magnetosphere. They had no idea what the repercussions would be. They thought it could collapse the entire atmosphere. They did it anyway. And we're still dealing with the repercussions of those experiments from so long ago, by the way. We have Fukushima that many people think is all fixed now. Couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -mm. They're dumping toxic irradiated water into the Pacific right now, the already dead Pacific in many ways. So we have a triple nuclear meltdown, no technology to fix it, no end in sight, extinction level event by itself. If other factors don't do the job first, which on this trajectory will be the case, we have 442 of those nuclear power plants online right now. We're building 60 more. Again, I'm pointing out what they have and are doing to themselves. So if we have a large CME, a coronal mass ejection, a solar flare, and that shuts down grids all around the world, something comparable to the Carrington event. It could be much smaller than the Carrington event in the 1800s would still do the job now with our damaged atmosphere. And that shuts down grids around the globe. Now we have lots of Fukushimas, dozens if not hundreds, game over. And yet we're plowing down this road, and none of this even takes into account nuclear Armageddon, which, by the way, Zach, they're openly discussing in circles of Washington. This leads into the whole Middle East fiasco. They're certainly pushing toward global conflict, trying to make that happen. We have circles in Washington openly discussing what they see as a benefit of a limited nuclear exchange (laughs) to put enough particulate matter in the atmosphere to create a partial nuclear winter to slow down the warming of the planet. If they do that, even a smaller scale exchange would strip away with ionizing radiation what's left of the atmosphere, no ozone layer, game over. So we are not dealing with sanity. We're dealing with the headless, heartless, soulless cancer of control that is beginning to fray apart. And that makes them even more dangerous. So again, for those that excuse away this issue and others because, quote, they wouldn't do this to themselves, they already have. Well, you make an excellent point, and I think I think you're right. I mean, this is absolute insanity. That's the only thing that would make any sense. But sometimes I think that I don't I don't know if it's possible to make sense of it because clearly these people are amoral. They have no sense of ethics or uh, no loyalty to humanity in general. But the irony is that that's what they talk about attempting to preserve. There was a scientist, a famous climate scientist, climate scientist. I don't remember his name, but he was in the dimming. And uh, he was speaking about uh, how uh, injecting this particulate matter into the atmosphere might kill tens of thousands of people. But who knows? We might save millions of people. It's like the the old uh, uh, um, <laughs> riddle of if you have two train tracks with five people on one side and one person on the other side, and all you got to do is pull that handle and you'll only kill the one person, are you okay doing it? And it seems like they're perfectly fine with making that decision. They are perfectly fine with that. You're referring to Dr. David Keith, and he is the face of climate engineering disinformation. And in the film, The Dimming, at an international climate engineering conference, I confronted Dr. Keith after his three and a half hour 
presentation and in a room of about a hundred research personnel and press, they allowed about three questions. I was one and that is on film and on the record. And Dr. Keith is still dealing with the repercussions of what happened in that exchange, very damning toward him. And I asked him in that exchange in all this symposium, when he, he was pushing the proposal and it's already going on of, of putting 10 million tons, 10 million tons of aluminum nanoparticles into the sky annually. My question to him was, had he done any research whatsoever on the toxicological effects? His first answer, again, it's on film on the record. He tried to sidestep the question by saying, we studied the total atmospheric particulate loading, adding a bit more won't hurt in his opinion. <laughs> My follow-up question, that particulate matter isn't aluminum nanoparticles. Have you studied that? He said, let me be more careful. We haven't. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. What kind of a response is that from the world's most recognized geoengineer? We don't know if dumping 10 million tons of aluminum nanoparticles in the atmosphere will cause harm. Of course it will cause harm. Aluminum is toxic. Bioavailable aluminum is toxic to all life forms, period. The smaller the particle, the more toxic it is. So these people know. And I, I can't imagine how they look themselves in the mirror every day. I just absolutely cannot imagine and I, I encourage people to watch the dimming and to mail, email a, a link to the dimming to some of these people. Any, any article, author of an environmental anything, send them a link. And the hypocrisy with the so-called environmental community is mind-numbing. They will not acknowledge climate engineering, no matter how big this elephant in the room is. And you can't have, I'll get, and I'll give it back to you, Zach, but you cannot have any legitimate discussion about climate, anything from any perspective without addressing this first and foremost period. No, I think you're right. Um, now, in in the dimming, you start off showing a series of patents with uh, a variety of methodologies for doing this, different types of aircraft. Someone earlier in the chat had wondered uh, if you believe that we're talking about a purely military phenomenon or if this is perhaps some sort of public-private partnership. And I, I think it's quite clear in the dimming that, I mean, you talk about both passenger aircrafts as well as military aircrafts, but I, I'd like for you to speak on that a little. Uh, you're completely correct, and we're not speculating. We have up-close photographs of retrofit nozzles on commercial carriers mounted on the wing pylons, aimed at the exhaust jet stream. We have film footage of these nozzles being turned on and off that immediately makes clear it is not condensation. So bottom line is there's no question this is a combination defense and private. We have private defense contractors like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin that are neck deep in climate engineering patents that actually do the, think about this, Zach, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin do the modeling for the nation's weathermen. National Weather Service and NOAA, why would our nation's weathermen need private defense geoengineering contractors to do the modeling for them? Because it's literally the scheduled weather. And again, National Weather Service and NOAA, there's illegal federal gag orders on both agencies. They're not allowed to talk about any of the agency's operations. How many red flags do we actually need? So about commercial carrier aircraft, I want to make this clear. We are not implicating commercial pilots or commercial personnel. They are not involved. These systems are automated, but we know their aircraft are being used. We're communicating with some commercial pilots that know this is ongoing. And you'll always have the denial, of course, Zach. You, you get letters from somebody that says, I'm a commercial airline pilot, and this absolutely positively isn't going on. That's no different than the 
the mainstream medical doctor that says vaccines are safe and effective, period, which couldn't be further from the truth. So with the commercial pilots we're dealing with, we supply them with our 20-page printed booklets, which is the most effective tool we have in this arsenal. And we we pass those on, Zach, on our homepage for less than our cost. We're simply trying to get them into circulation. But with a tool like that, you can wake other people up to this issue because of the photographic images, copy of the gag order. And the pilots are leaving those around in lunchrooms and and sort of, uh, you know, overt uh, or covert places to try to wake their comrades up. This knowledge is definitely spreading rapidly. And and we have contacts in military circles as well that want this issue exposed. I'm communicating with congressional members on this. Also, again, this, if we can blow this issue out in the open, there will be a shockwave around the world because when people see issues like Zach, did you see what just happened to Acapulco? No. What? Oh, oh there was a, uh, a, a hurricane or something in Acapulco, right? Yes, but one like no other yeah. that has ever happened. So you have the entire meteorological community. And this elaborates on some that I've just been uh, sharing on that is completely baffled at how what they forecast to be just a tropical storm spun up to the most powerful hurricane ever to hit the Pacific Mexican coast, 165 mile an hour winds, strong category five, laid waste to Acapulco. Mm -hmm. No warning whatsoever, no predictions of that whatsoever. And they're pretending they have no idea what's going on because they won't address the climate engineering issue. And, And why would Mexico be a target for those who control the climate? And again, ultimately it's those with the biggest militaries. Who is that? Obviously us. Mexico, amongst other nations, has strongly criticized what's happening in the Middle East, Mm. i.e. the slaughter of innocent civilians that's happening right now. And again, on the October 7th event, that's that's a separate issue. And we now know that the border wall was left unattended for seven hours. We could we can bring that up, too. So whatever else happens, why was that border wall left unattended for seven hours? Now we have innocent civilians being slaughtered. I think of last count today was 8,000 innocents, 4,000 of them children. Mexico criticized that, and they've criticized what's happening in the Middle East going back a number of years, and suddenly they are wiped out with the completely unpredicted, unprecedented hurricane. And at the same time this week, same thing happened to Yemen. Mm. Another cyclone hit Yemen, also criticized what's happening in the Middle East, and they get annihilated with the cyclone. Same in Vanuatu. So are, is this all just a mass string of coincidences? I don't think so. No, I, I don't believe so either. Well, what's interesting is that California also got hit with a hurricane this year, uh, albeit you know to a lesser degree. But I mean, that kind of builds upon what we're seeing there on that side near Mexico. Uh, it makes me think that they're going to start pushing these extreme weather events into areas uh, heretofore basically unknown, uh, where we're not seeing things like that. Since moving to Florida, we've had a couple of serious hurricanes down here as well. And I know Florida is basically Hurricane Alley. You get them all the time. Um, but uh, but we had a couple of pretty bad ones, pretty bad ones. A lot of people lost out big time. And uh, as a result of that, 
We've had a number of insurance carriers for homes just completely pull out of the area. We're having uh, not only homeowners uh, insurance companies pulling out, but also auto insurance companies pulling out. And it's leaving people in a really bad position. I, I tend to believe that they're hoping to clear out certain areas, make it so that people can't afford to live there anymore. And then, you know, they can uh, uh, essentially fake the, the climate change agenda that they're working on or perhaps make it uh, uh, land that they're going to resolve for something else. But what good is it going to be if everything is dead at that point in the future? Now, Dane, you had uh, you, you've said a number of times that uh, that we're running on a limited timeline here. Um, we need to act quickly. Something needs to happen. I'm very encouraged to know that you're speaking with people in Congress and also people in the military, because obviously we got to go where the power is. Right. I mean, we need to we need to be working with people who not only understand this issue, but have the power to do something about it. What kind of a timeline do you believe we're looking at here uh, so that we don't end up completely decimating the planet? First, Doc, I want to say I'm, I'm very grateful to you for your you have a, a very wide range of knowledge, accurate knowledge on, on all these issues. And that makes forming a complete picture from the puzzle pieces much easier, and more effective. So thank you for that. Thank you. On on the timeline based on current statistical data we would not likely make it to the end of this decade (laughs) if not far sooner and i realize how completely unbelievable that is to most people and this enters the arena where as some of the most profound scientific minds in the world have pointed out that the vast majority don't really understand the exponential equation. It's, it's the bacteria in a Petri dish that might take 59 minutes and 30 seconds to fill half that Petri dish. And that last 30 seconds, they fill it, overflow it, and all die. Mm-hmm. And that's the exponential equation. Today, currently, the species extinction rate is 15,000 times the background rate. If that doesn't alarm the hell out of people, I don't know what would. That's a million and a half percent of normal. We've lost 70% of Earth's wildlife populations in the last 40 years alone. 70% of an already diminished wildlife population. Insect populations globally down 80 to 90%. Plankton I mentioned earlier. We have an ozone layer that's disintegrating and we have such massive overshoot with so much population that the moment there's not enough to go around, you have Mad Max on steroids and that's already happening. Even in Acapulco right now, it just happened the hurricane and there's already massive looting and pillaging. And I mean, populations are literally trying to survive. You have about 37 countries that this is happening in right now. Those in power know what's coming as they should, because they have done the most to create this scenario And they are absolutely circling their wagons. And what's happening in the Middle East is part of that. They're literally exterminating populations and trying to trigger a global conflict, which is their last option in this case. And it's it's a very final option. If if we continue on this road, it's a very final option. So again, based on mathematical, statistical trajectories, though it would, would be unlikely sort of some complete course correction that we would make it to 2030. <laughs> that doesn't mean life stays normal until then. I want to make that clear. 
It means the dominoes are falling now. It's called cascading collapse. Those that don't believe that will soon. This is, a, again, a complete house of cards. You can't live from an extractive society. That's how we live. Grinding up nature to support this current trajectory. And, and again, I, I have great disdain for the environmental community. And yes, there are disaster capitalists making money off the collapsing climate. But again, I stress that does not mean that the climate is not collapsing. And there are many causes, climate engineering being the, the single greatest current factor, but by no means the only factor. All, all forms of human activity that affect the energy balance of the planet and destroy ecosystems of the planet are part of the problem. And the way we build bridges, and I'll end with this, Zach, sorry to rant. If, oh, it's okay. The way we build bridges is to, back to what I stated earlier, what it, whoever we're talking to, whatever their perspective is on the climate, to make clear we can't have a legitimate discussion without addressing this. And, and it's important to acknowledge we've been really bad stewards of the planet, really bad. Nobody can really rationally argue that. So we should concede that and then go on to climate engineering and keep the subject on climate engineering. And if we can expose and halt climate engineering and get it out of our skies, then we can have an accurate assessment of where we're at. All right. I definitely agree. And um, real quick, I had a couple of thank yous I wanted to give for to uh, people in the well, actually all Fredo. <clears throat> Fredo said, uh, first of all, not sure if you can see this, Zach, but the rumble chant is frozen. I went ahead and fixed that. Uh, he also said they want us to eat the bugs and lab grown meat while they have filet mignon. Did you know that a 16 piece family meal at KFC is sixty seven dollars in California? Friend in Washington said it was seventy four dollars. They hate us. Uh, Fredo also says, FYI, there are no show notes. That was an issue with Rumble. I went ahead and uh, refreshed that. So you should be able to get them now. You should see the link to Geoengineering Watch. Uh, And then I've also passed out the link to the documentary, uh, which uh, uh, is available on YouTube to watch for free. And I highly recommend everybody watch it. Go back and watch Dane's other films as well, because there's so much vital information in there. So, uh, Dane, you had said in uh, in your, your previous work that, that you started out as a skeptic on this stuff. And it, it's obvious that you are in contact with a lot of people uh, who are, you know, perhaps involved or have been involved or at least have the, the knowledge and understanding of what's been going on. Uh, do you have people currently working within these industries with ongoing knowledge of these programs that you can talk about in any way? No, okay. we do not have direct contact with anybody that's directly involved. The only interview we have with someone who was, it's posted at geoengineeringwatch.org. It is a profoundly important interview from 20 years ago, from 2003. And it's, I believe, a dialogue with the geoengineering insider. And the interview is called Deep Shield. And that was certainly someone who was definitely involved with the programs. He was found... For the record, suicided two weeks later in his garage, car on, uh, very uh, Hollywood script-like death. But there's no question that that data was accurate. We've had a number of academics we work with uh, review that data. And that particular academician, who we call Deep Shield, was convinced that these programs were needed and necessary, much like doctors in the medical industrial complex have managed to convince themselves that vaccines are safe and effective when the truth is anything but that. And his assessment then based on the current trajectory and the damage done to the planet. And this part does have relevance that we had perhaps only as much as 20 years left 
before cascading collapse occurred. We're at that 20 year mark now, and we are seeing very profound and extraordinarily alarming changes. The AMOC current, which affects the Gulf Stream current as well. We've seen Hollywood films about this, the shutdown of the ocean currents. It's collapsing now. We have a section of sea ice in Antarctica with a surface area larger than Greenland that's gone this year, gone. And why is that important? Because some people, Zach, you probably heard him say, well, that's great. Maybe the poles melt and we'll have a, a nice warm planet. No, that's that's not how it works. When you have geologic changes that happen at this speed, nothing can adapt. The climate system goes into a complete shutdown and we're on track for what's called Venus syndrome. And I think that metaphor is quite clear of mm-hmm. where that leads. So no direct contact with insiders, but we do have other academicians that we've had contact from that those contacts typically go dead soon after the contact. We're communicating with science climate scientists in South America that were acknowledging the extreme UV levels. In fact, they, there's been UV readings in South America in the Andes that were comparable to the surface of Mars. And NASA even acknowledged that. Your listeners can search that. They acknowledged it 10 years after they knew it. But these researchers then subsequently went off the radar. They, mm. they expressed to us that they were, they were absolutely being um, pressured and threatened by a governmental sources, and we never heard anything from them again. I got contacted from the, and I still have these emails. We may be able to utilize them at some point from the top biologist in California, working on a ex- species extinction um, study on the Delta smelt, a small fish in the Sacramento River. And he was finding aluminum nanoparticles adhered to their gills. And every time he tried to bring this up, he got a boot put over his neck. Hmm. And now we haven't heard from him. So anyone, everyone, anywhere that tries to acknowledge some of the factors that relate to this issue, uh, contacts go dead in a hurry. They're certainly monitoring and uh, observing, putting out any spot fire of awareness anywhere they can. And I'm told that by some Canadian officials we communicated with, the, the former Canadian Minister of Defense, I was in direct contact with General Albert Stubblebine, the highest ranking U.S. military official to ever speak out about 9-11. He was a personal friend. And we have contacts right now, two U.S. Air Force generals that are in the dimming. We're told that we have allies behind the curtain that want, desperately want this issue to be exposed. And as you correctly stated earlier, Zach, that's the only way we can stop it. By reaching those in power, making them understand they're going down on the ship with us and them helping us to expose and halt this. You're completely correct. Absolutely. Uh, Fredo also says, some are saying that this is fear porn. It's not fear porn if it's real, just my two cents. They want us dead, and this is reality. If you think they don't, you're kidding yourself. See the COVID vax for details. I think you make an excellent point, Fredo. And uh, for anybody who thinks that Dane is an alarmist of sorts, I urge you to go and watch his films. Again, they're free to watch online. It doesn't take anything but the click of a link. Uh, They are certainly going to, I I think, change your mind about this issue. And, you know, uh, let's let's talk about, uh, you know, some of the more catastrophic elements that we're discussing here. I mean, before the show, we were talking about uh, the current spate of wildfires. I would really like to talk about that because on another 
another program where we discussed this issue. Uh, I had uh, come across a, uh, a report of some kind that was written by a scientist discussing the accelerant nature of aluminum particulates. And immediately I thought about your work and the fact that uh, like aluminum, barium, strontium, sometimes manganese, all of these are found in this, uh, you know, highly atomized form in all of the samples that you're taking. And to me, it just seems like such a perfect confluence of events. You spray an area for a given amount of time. You don't do the controlled burns so that you have a bunch of detritus just waiting to go up. And then at the same time, you are killing all of the plant life, which just creates a perfect tinder pile. And all of a sudden, you've got these fireballs that are igniting because of the accelerants. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this. Your observations and assessments are completely correct. And before I address that question, if I could back up to what Fredo said, he's completely correct. Completely correct. Are they trying to cull the herd? Yes. Absolutely. No question. That's certainly what CB19 is about. That's what the, the medical treatment for that is about. And we know if I can weave that into climate engineering, just so that this is crystal clear, we know that Two of the elements we're finding in precipitation, polymer fibers and graphene, and graphene is extremely harmful. Mm-hmm. It's a vascular machete. It's, it's toxicological effects. It's an endless list. That's in our rain, period. And we know those two platforms are used for biological carrier platforms. What's that mean? It means in biological warfare operations, they are used to carry a pathogen from the cloud to the ground. We know we have the world's second most recognized climate engineer, Dr. Ken Caldera, was a former Department of Defense scientist. We own an audio of him at geoengineeringwatch.org stating, it's posted at geoengineeringwatch.org, what he did for the USDOD was to design methods of spraying pathogens into clouds to infect the populations below. We know we had CV-19 found attached to airborne particulates. Italian scientists confirmed this. We know 85 countries in the first waves of COVID were infected in three days. That's indicative of airborne dispersion. And now, as of about three weeks ago, we had massive blanketing of polymer fibers and strands that mainstream media blamed on spiders. They said trillions of spiders, ballooning spiders, are weaving these webs. They couldn't produce a single spider. Webs that covered several dozen cities in California, they couldn't produce a single spider, couldn't name a single species. We've tested this material in the past, and it had... It had copious amounts of aluminum in it. So unless spiders are weaving their webs out of bioavailable aluminum, this isn't spider webs. Is that biological testing going on right now in California? So the, the, the levels of threat here are immense. Back to the fires. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is the core causal factor for the epic burndowns we see happening around the globe. That is not a denial that we have damaged the planet in countless ways. We're going through, it's hard to conceive of this. We're going through 100 million barrels of carbon fuel a day, 23 million tons of coal a day. We're cutting down the forest. We're paving the planet. We're poisoning the oceans. But all that being said, the intentional intervention with the climate is the most disruptive and destructive of all. So for the fire, Zach, as you so correctly stated, the fallout from climate engineering is literally blanketing the landscape, including structures like in Lahaina, with an incendiary dust. That's happening, period. Now we know we're, we're killing soil microbiome, which is killing root systems. I mentioned earlier, trees dying from the bottom up, disrupting the hydrological cycle. So for example, in my region of Northern California, instead of perhaps 
30 to 60 days without rain in the summer. Now it's seven or eight months. And when the rain does come, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. The forests die even faster. So we have a forest that's riddled with dead and dying flora. And so whenever there's a spark, and there's many more of those sparks because climate engineering elements are electrically conductive and their interaction in the atmosphere builds up much more static electricity, much more dry lightning because of that. So from every conceivable direction, climate engineering is the core causal factor for the burn downs. I know about trees and forests. My dad was an arborist. I, I've been involved directly with six major habitat restoration programs, three state, three federal. I ran them all. I supervised all of them. And, and so, again, this is not something I don't know about. This is fuel reduction programs. And the biggest fuel forest floor fuel buildup occurs where trees have been irresponsibly logged. So if we look at statistically regions of Siberia, that have never been touched by human hands ever, the burn rate over a 10-year stretch from 2005 to 2015 escalated 1,000%, 10 times worse than forests that have never been touched. Bottom line, there's a factor we're not being told about. That factor is climate engineering. And you spoke, I I don't want to lose this point. You spoke about the preparation of these forests to burn, and you are completely correct And we have military documents to confirm that 140 page document we found titled forest fires as a military weapon Mm -hmm. and sections highlighted posted at geoengineeringwatch.org specifically addressing the cutting off of precipitation, the spraying of elements that would have the killing effect on the floor to prep the area for burning. We go to Lahaina. What happened a week before that fire? The droughting out of that region was so severe, they declared it a flash drought region. Mm-hmm. Now we have climate engineering affecting pressure zones. There was a very anomalous high pressure zone to the north. That's from a frequency transmitter like HARP creating that high pressure zone. We had a very anomalous low pressure zone to the south. That was Hurricane Dora, uh, one of the most longest live, longest lived low pressure zones that we've seen in the Pacific, both simultaneously, one spinning upper level winds on the north side clockwise south side low pressure counterclockwise between the two what do you create a wind tunnel right on top of lahaina mm-hmm. so you're creating a bellows effect firestorm whatever the source of ignition that's a separate subject they created a firestorm that wiped that place out are there agendas like you mentioned earlier of, of clearing land for that reason yes i would argue there is as you also stated correctly earlier zach will those agendas matter on a dead planet no no. Um, over here on Rumble once more, Cranop says, uh, thank you, Zach. I don't know what can be done. I've been going on about this for decades already, praying for justice on this soon. Certainly hope so. Uh, we will see what uh, Dane has to say about solutions. Uh, Freight Awakening says, another $20 challenge. Great guest and a show once again. Thank you, Dane, for bringing truth to our plight as mere plebs. I hate the term elites, by the way. We are the true elites of planet Earth. So, Dane, <clears throat> One thing that you just said there uh, really struck me, the electroconductive nature of these particulates. Uh, I mean, I've actually heard in a number of occasions, uh, you know, obviously they're, they always try to say that a, a forest fire or a wildfire is precipitated by some sort of lightning. But there have been instances where these fires just seem to pop up out of nowhere. I mean, Canada, for instance, it was like they were just popping off all over the entire uh, country. 
And how easy would it be to just, I don't know, send some sort of electrostatic charge in a very minute way into a multiple areas all over a given region? If you wanted to set off fires, you wouldn't even have to worry about the natural occurrence of lightning. You're correct. And could, with current technology, could an atmosphere, could an airborne platform ignite a fire on the ground? The answer is yes. And I, I watched the Canada fires ignite as well. Extremely anomalous. Could a coordinated arson effort on the ground do the same? Yes. Yep. And we can't know which. In regard to anything of any significance greater than that with a an energy weapon, if you will, from an airborne platform, that's where the narrative needs to be corrected in many cases because for a ground-based frequency weapon or, or directed energy weapon, with enough power to do some of the things that are claimed, it's about a million and a half pounds. It takes about 18 semi-trucks to move that weapon. We don't have any airborne platforms that can do that. And directed energy, anything cannot work for anybody that knows about laser physics. They cannot work with any particulate matter in the air. Thus, the notion that some of this is happening through smoke canopies is not supportable by science, period. And we don't need this in the equation. We can stand on what we can prove. When you create a bellows effect, you create extraordinarily high temperatures in Lahaina. We had 80 mile an hour surface winds blowing through incendiary dust coated structures and flora and fauna. And once you create that horizontal blowtorch effect, everything incinerates. And certainly this is not nature. Again, this is climate engineering. But with the bellows effect, ancient cultures have been melting steel for millennia, Mm -hmm. thousands of years. That's how they did it. So, again, this is just that on a bigger scale, and we should stand on solid data that we can prove, and it's important that people, before they run with any particular conclusion, that they do some research on that conclusion. About the fires in Canada, as I mentioned to you off air, most people don't know how much burnt. I think that the final statistic or the current statistic is somewhere in the range of 72,000 square miles Mm. that's really hard to get your arms around that's far bigger than the surface area of the state of florida or the state of georgia and all that material then goes into the atmosphere there's a very important video we did zach called wildfires serve geoengineering agenda so i mentioned the nuclear bomb proposals from some in washington to put enough particulate matter in the air to create a nuclear winter scenario same is true with the climate science community in regard to their proposal for intentionally burning northern latitude forests to put enough particulate matter in the air to provide temporary cooling. Is that not the epitome of insanity? And what happened with those Quebec fires? Once they ignited, all that smoke was very anomalously pushed down by atmospheric pressure zone manipulation, pushed right down over the U.S. Northeast, Mm -hmm. dropped temperatures about 30 degrees. So, I encourage people just to look at the data in that report I just mentioned. Again, wildfires serve geoengineering agenda, one of our most important. We have screenshots of the science studies advocating advocating for the burning of northern latitude forests or southern latitude forests for the southern polar region there because this particulate matter, because of the Coriolis effect, the spin of the planet, tends to put that smoke over the polar regions, which they're not trying to mitigate the warming. They're trying to mask it while making it worse. Like a pharmaceutical, Zach. Mm-hmm. Zach, have you seen pharmaceutical commercials? Take this for that. And here's 50 side effects that are way worse than what you're trying to cheat, uh, treat. 
Same mentality. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Esther, thank you so much. She says in honor of ESA DMF, uh, who we just lost a couple of days ago, uh, Freight Awakening and all the good, generous people who love and support Zach and Lisa. Anyway, we can support and help. Thank you so much, Esther. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I want to uh, h- highlight something that you had uh, mentioned about uh, uh, the, the possibility of, uh, you know, space lasers. Obviously, it's a favorite topic of when, when people see a, a, a fires and stuff like that. But specifically in Lahaina, the controlled nature of the burn, how it seemed like there was, a, you know, only a certain area that seemed to want to catch on fire. But in the uh, in the dimming, you point out from some pretty significant weather data showing that uh, with the uh, equipment that they're using, they can very finely tune the shape of these weather systems And I would assume that's not just clouds, that's not just precipitation, that's also going to be the movement of air itself. Uh, And so I'm wondering if, uh, you know, perhaps that is uh, more of a a reasonable explanation as to why we only saw burning in certain areas. Well, you had an ignition that happened upwind from a specific uh, jutting out of land on that island. So it had to go a specific direction it's not going to migrate far to either side when it's being pushed that hard forward. Okay. And I've fought wildland fires on the front lines. I, I operate heavy equipment and have, have been engaged in um, a number of major fires in Northern California here. So again, I'm, I'm speaking from firsthand experience and, and Zach, you've seen, for example, the trees that are burning on the inside that, Yes. Many claim is from directed energy weapon. And, and, and it's that exact narrative that is keeping many high ranking Cal Fire officials whom I know personally, whom I fought fire in the front lines with personally. That's what's keeping them from addressing this issue because they don't want to be associated with that narrative because they know that narrative is false. Right. Because of all all the factors. Let me back this up. All the factors I mentioned earlier, the toxification of soil microbiome killing root systems, trees are having the bark literally burnt off them on this sun-exposed side. The UV is so strong, and it's not hard to find if you find the correct species. It's burning the cambrium layer off the trees from tip to trunk, so they have a huge stripe going all the way up the tree where the sun has killed the cambrium layer, then the core wood dies. So you have a shell of a tree that's still alive with the core wood dead, pulpy, extremely easy to ignite, and we see these trees in the forest on fires all the time, mm. burning from the inside out. In fact, on some trees, you have an opening at the bottom and an opening at the top. If they ignite and burn all the way through, mm. it literally looks like a torch yeah. burning in the forest. And that is absolutely from the phenomenon. I've mentioned that, again, the trees, because when you take, for example, antibiotics, you know that that kills your beneficial microbiome, yep. fungal infections often ensue. We have that happening in the forest right now. We have the beneficial microbiome being wiped out, fungal everything proliferating. The particles in the air are also platforms for fungal proliferation. You have a complete capsizing of the natural ecosystem that was here. So when you see that kind of burning on the inside out again, that's the core causal factor. We might see several dozen trees on one front of the fire burning like this because they're everywhere in the forest now. These hollow trees, embers blowing sideways, ignites these trees, they burn from the inside out. And Zach, you've probably also seen the and heard people comment about the tree that didn't burn next to the house that did. Mm -hmm. And we pulled up the I found the archival photographs of the Berkeley fire from 1923, 100 years ago. 
And it's exactly the same as today. And in the case of those trees, redwoods, for example, which is commonly what people photograph when they, they make this conclusion, redwoods are extremely fire resistant. That's why I have a hundred of them planted around my house. They are not a pitch based tree. Mm. So they, they can be burnt, but they don't really burn. And any live tree, I don't care what it is, it doesn't burn to the ground if it's a live tree. When you see a forest fire burning across a mountainside, you don't end up with a dusty, barren hill left. You end up with dead standing trees everywhere because they can't. a live tree can't burn to the ground. Take a, a, a piece of wood from a, a live tree, throw it on a campfire, and see what it takes to even burn that. You can't. You have to just keep uh, stoking it. It won't burn. So I, I'm asking people just to consider that, that there's, there are those factors that they're not addressing. And that being said, there is some very anomalous things happening here. I am not denying that. I have seen commercial structures surrounded by parking lot, non-combustible structures as a whole burnt to the ground Crispy. in some of these fires. Yeah. And that's, that's is, is very anomalous in the smart meter factor. Mm-hmm. Could that be used to ignite a structure fire? The answer is yes. I have a picture, uh, was shown a picture from a resident in the car fire. You may remember the car fire in California. Very, very big fire, very mm-hmm. destructive. She was leaving an affluent neighborhood. They were being evacuated. And as she left, the fire had not even gotten there yet. She saw in her neighbor's home, which was already empty, that it was already on fire on the inside. And she photographed that through the front window. Oh, that's wild. And how, how in the world could that have possibly happened? Their house is on fire on the inside and the fire hadn't even gotten there yet. So uh, a smart meter, whether it's an electrical surge from an electric line going down, could that be a causal factor? Yes. Could it intentionally be used to ignite an interior structure fire? The answer again is yes. Absolutely. I, I never considered that before. And, that, and thank you very much for explaining the, uh, the the trees burning from the inside out. That's definitely something that many people have speculated on for a very long time. That's the first time I've ever heard uh, an, an explanation that seems to make any sense uh, for something grounded in reality. But you're I, that is that's crazy. I've, I've definitely never heard that story before. But I can see how that would be a possibility because the smart meters have the ability to you know send and receive information. And they would theoretically have the power to maybe overload a circuit in your home or, I don't know, you got your toaster, your hairdryer pulled in or plugged in still, and they go ahead and set it up. So, wow, that's crazy. It's already happened. There's, yeah. already, there's already lawsuits about smart fires, uh, wow. smart meters starting fires. It's, it's, so it's, it's not speculation. They absolutely can. Wow. Okay. Uh, let me say thank you to um, uh, Eleanor, Eleanor2000, who says, another challenge accepted and indeed to honor beautiful ESA DMF and bless Zach and Lisa. Fredo says props to Esther and echo her sent- sentiments. Uh, rest in peace, ESA DMF. Cranop59, challenge accepted. Rest in peace, ESA DMF. And Fredo Awakening said this may come across as a divisive question, so feel free to avoid it, Dane. But in your research of global weather manipulation, do you give any credence to flat Earth? I am a round earther, by the way. <laughs> what I would what I would state to that again is is that we have so many factors that we see round objects in the cosmos, including the moon. And I don't think the moon is a pie plate. Mm-hmm. So again, in, in 
I know there's many arguments for every, every argument I could make. There's a counter argument that's been conjured up. I mean, if the, so I would, I would rather hope that those who fill the earth is whatever shape, even if they think it's a, a triangle, whatever they think, whatever anyone chooses to think, we have to stop what's happening in our skies or we're done. And if we get sidelined on these other topics and we lose sight of the oncoming train, we do so at our own peril. So I, I would encourage your listener to simply let's focus on that and we can wrangle about the rest later. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. For, for me, it's really not that big of a deal because I know that you're right. People will have their decision made. Their mind is made up one way or the other because if they feel one way, it's obviously for a particular set of arguments. If it's the other way, it's the other way. But we're, we are talking about something real here. Something else that you had mentioned earlier, uh, which uh, brought uh, a, a recent situation to mind. So in the Russian tundra, Siberian tundra, there have been these methane pocket explosions. You mentioned them in the dimming. And that brought to mind the recent kerfuffle that took place uh, with Congresswoman AOC. She was trying to raise awareness or, or raise alarm about cow farts, essentially. The idea that cows were producing so much methane that it was going to destroy the earth. Maybe there is a problem with methane, but it's not because of cows. It's because they know that these methane pockets are being released from these capture points all over the earth as a result of the geoengineering that they're engaging in. Your, your assessment is, again, is correct, Zach. And Regarding livestock, uh, is there cow flatulence? Yes. Does it matter in comparison with the methane blowouts, methane hydrate and clathrate in, in polar regions and elsewhere? No, doesn't matter. Again, we're back to the single engine plane with some flares in the wing for climate engineering and the 800 pound gorilla of the military tanker dumping 100 tons. So they use that argument and they use people like AOC, who does much damage for the cause or credibility of the climate engineering issue by her rhetoric. They use her for narratives like that specifically to polarize populations. The power structure very successfully used Al Gore and his hypocrisy flying around in his private jet with no solar on its home. They very successfully used him to polarize the population. And I've talked to otherwise intelligent people who had come to a conclusion that none of this can be true because they so hated Al Gore, they decided to take the opposite position of whatever Al Gore said. That's not a sound basis for a conclusion. So, we have, again, with the methane blowouts, and I would encourage your listeners to simply search Siberian methane craters and look at those images because they are indeed shocking, absolutely shocking. And what's happening on the seafloor is 10 times bigger. Why is that a problem? And, and methane generally releases with other gases as well, hydrogen sulfide, could be nitrous oxide. Methane over a 10-year time horizon, about 120 times more effective at trapping heat in the atmosphere than CO2. Nitrous oxide, about 300 times more effective. So we have these other gases that the so-called climate science community doesn't even consider in their modeling, and that's by design. Because the, the largest scientific panel ever created in Human History Act, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they don't even include methane in their modeling. How is that possible? How can you have anything that's even remotely accurate without that? And their data is 10 years old. So any warning they give is 10 years old. How much worse has it gotten since then? The whole system by design is to keep the herd calm 
until the last possible moment, until they can effectively initiate all their culling to keep everybody from panicking and grabbing their pitchforks and torches and going to look for those in power. They want to keep them pacified and calm, normalcy bias till the brutal bitter end. So again, all factors are a part of the problem. I want to stress that, you know, it's, it's inconceivable to, to incinerate and utilize a hundred million barrels of carbon fuel a day. And, and people say this, Zach, I'm sure you've heard this CO2 is necessary. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. But then they say the more, the better. That's not true. When you change atmospheric chemistry and you have flora that is not adapted to that new atmospheric chemistry, that's a problem. Water is necessary. We can't survive more than a day or two without it. If we're 10 feet under, we're going to live maybe two or three minutes. So you, you can't just have these absolutes. When they have greenhouse, some of the greenhouses pump CO2 in on purpose, but that only works because they have enough soil augmentation for those organisms to uptake that. And they pump it out at night mm-hmm. because the organisms have to have a break from that excess CO2. So there's so much more to this equation that people need to know and should understand to a degree before they disseminate. And that's why the simple argument from all sides of the fence, as you correctly stated earlier, people that have made up their mind, whatever it might be, they can't really argue with how can we have a legitimate discussion about climate, anything without addressing this. Mm -hmm. And that's applicable to all sides of the fence, any perspective. Absolutely. And if there's no living plants to soak up that CO2, then yeah, we're, we're totally screwed. So I yes. just I just showed a whole bunch of pictures of these Siberian methane craters. Uh, this has been going on, you know, as far as I know, for a decade or more. Um, it's something that I found to be, you know, fairly compelling uh, because obviously the Siberian tundra has been frozen for a very long time. Um, I've never, I don't know if I've ever heard it brought up in the same conversation as, you know, quote unquote, climate change, but certainly it's uh, something that, uh, you know, they've been tangentially paying attention to, but never really had the ability to uh, explain. But if they are uh, if they are changing our ecosystem, the, this is the great irony. Climate change is real, but it's not just it's not us that are doing it. It's them that are doing it. They're destroying the planet for us and then blaming it on us so that when they punish us for it, we're going to go ahead and just roll over and take it. All right, you guys, um, we are going to be opening the phones now for the second half of the show. Dane, before we go tonight, please remind me, I, I want to get your thoughts on any possible uh, action items that we can give the audience. Uh, I want to end, if we can, uh, with a, a bit of a, a hopeful atmosphere. If we can't, well, then that's just the way it is. But let's go ahead and bring in our first caller. And uh, this is I think this is a caller from Southern California. Caller, are you there? Yeah, hey Zach, it's uh, Vortex guy. Vortex guy, welcome back to the program, sir. How you doing? Well, good. And Dane, your um, educated uh, physics responses are are amazing. And I just I was on a little bit last night, so I won't take up much time. But Dane, um, I, I hear you explain the billows effect and and what went on in Maui. However, it's just so fascinating to watch these videos of these guys with these uh, vacant uh, cars before they put up the, the, the black fences, of course, so nobody could see the damage. But these cars in the middle of these concrete parking lots surrounded by brick walls that were just absolutely uh, demolished and uh, engine blocks liquefied, glass liquefied. They're talking temperatures of 2,000 degrees plus. H- how does that... Uh, how does that stack up for you? Maybe I missed something earlier. 
again, what I would state, and thank you for the question, is that when you have a horizontal heat plume being pushed at 80 miles an hour, that begins to bridge large areas, even spanning across parking lots. And as far as the melting of those cars, if you search burned car on highway, you can see that even a single burned car with nothing else around it that ignited looks very similar because cars don't just blow up when the gas tanks ignite. They typically that that fuels the flames being pushed by 80 mile an hour winds. You have engine blocks, some that are aluminum heads that are aluminum wheels that are aluminum that melts at 1200 degrees and the bellows effect can far exceed 2000 degrees. When you look, when you take a, a, a propane or excuse me, an oxyacetylene torch, if you have just the acetylene burning, your, your a flame temperature is somewhere about 1500 degrees, 13 to 1500. When you add oxygen, when you add more air, now it goes up to 6,500 degrees. So consider that pumping air into the fire makes an immense difference. And if we look at the, the cars that just burnt in the October 7th fiasco in the Middle East, those cars look the same as well. So we need, and you can melt aluminum in a campfire, you can melt glass in a campfire. The fact that they melted there is certainly well within the realm of possibility, especially given the conditions we have, especially given the incendiary dust, which also increases temperature. And to give an example of that, we have thermite, which is contains aluminum nanoparticles. That's a demolition material, part of what was found in the wreckage of 9-11. That can cut a hole through a four-inch beam immediately. And so we have all these factors. And we, and we film, by the way, over the Paradise Fire. And Zach, you probably remember the Paradise Fire in oh, yeah. California. We filmed oh, yeah. This is in the dimming. We filmed blanket aerosol spraying operations directly above the smoke canopy of that fire. Whatever that's about, it's not benevolent. So that, that can be another accelerant that we see happening there too. So what I would what I would argue is that if we stand on the solid building blocks of this issue and not divert onto speculation that completely eclipses the provable climate engineering issue, we will further our cause much more productively. Oh, that's very interesting. One other idea for us out here that are curious, what do you think about the sabotaging of the uh, Nord Stream pipeline with all the Green New Deal business going around? How much methane and how much pollutant did that release? It's certainly a big problem. And again, much of that went into the atmosphere. And as far as how long this has been going on, Zach, I just wanted to mention from what you stated earlier, you've, you've seen things you said for the last decade, but this has been going on actually much longer. The Bermuda Triangle scenario is methane release from mm. the seafloor. That's how long the oceans have been heating. When you have a temperature increase, it, and it can be even lesser amounts, if that methane field destabilizes, and that's what's happening in the Bermuda Triangle scenario, if whole fields tend to release at once, and when that happens in the ocean, that aerates the water column above that field release, that means when that hits the surface, because of that aerated water column, any surface vessel vessel would have no buoyancy. It goes to the bottom intact. Oh, wow. Even a a piston-driven plane, like the squadron that went down, and this has already been scientifically proven with experiment, that methane plume will kill a piston-driven airplane. Wow. So these plumes have been happening for many decades. Those in power know it. With their attempt to keep business as usual and hide it, 
they are making it worse. But, but it, again, I, I'll leave with this. I want to stress that it is a this and that equation. We've been really bad stewards of the planet. All the forms of damage from human activity, grinding up nature to keep this paradigm going, that's definitely a problem. But the intentional intervention with the climate and the use of it as a weapon makes that problem exponentially worse, pushes us from the frying pan into the fire. Well, thank you for such uh, educated answers. It's nice to hear some science behind the madness. Zach, I'll leave you alone. We took up too much time last night. Go on to your next caller. You guys have a great rest of the weekend. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Vortex. We'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Okay, let's see. Um, Also, Fredo says they need to stop spraying and we need to start praying. Good bumper sticker idea. The psychos that want to cull cows because of the farts need to go. We need a cow revolt. Wake up, Bessie. And then also over here at pill.net, central1234, thank you for the shades. Porpoiseful, thank you for the cookie. Michelle Ann says, incredible speaker. Thank you, Zach. You're very welcome. And thank you once again, Dane, for being here. Uh, Von Hitch also says, Zach, I posted on your Truth Social a chemtrail vid that I captured. Check it out. This leads to Alzheimer's. And yes, this was uh, a factor, Dane, that I had never possi- I had never previously considered. Um, but you speak about it in the dimming. Um, obviously, Alzheimer's has been directly linked to the ingestion in one way or another of aluminum. Uh, I think a lot of people think about a possible source of that uh, as modern-day antiperspirant. <laughs> but... <laughs> How much more do you think we're ingesting either through the air or through what we eat as opposed to what we're putting in our armpits? Super important question. Thank you, Zach. It's exponentially more and more harmful. If I could back before I answer that the rest of the way, if I could back up for a second on the cow situation. Sure. Yeah, they're using the flatulence on the cows to divide polarized populations and get them to take their eye off the ball, if you will. But cutting down jungles to raise cows, that's definitely a problem. When you're, when you're eliminating forests to raise livestock, you're eliminating the lungs of the planet, absolute problem. So there is a problem there. It's just uh, detached from what they try to distract and divide people with. Back to what we're breathing. This can't be overstated. We are inhaling a plethora of highly toxic elements that are absolutely proven to cause an unimaginably long list of neurological degenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, dementia, ALS. The the list is almost endless. And there is no question this is happening. Every person we've tested, hair, blood, urine is packed with these metals. There is zero place to hide from this. And when you're talking about nanoparticles, and they are inconceivably small, recent peer-reviewed air quality studies concluded that in some regions – Individuals may be inhaling as many as 20 million of these particles with every breath they take. That's inconceivable. To put this into context, it's important your listeners know you can fit 100,000 nanoparticles across the width of a single human hair. If If they go outside on a dark night with heavy spraying, hazy skies, a place where there's no light pollution, take the brightest light they can find, aim it straight up and look straight up through that beam. You have to see it to believe it. It looks like it's snowing. There's so much particulate matter coming down. And, th- and think about how much particulate matter it takes to change soil pH values in the forest in Northern California, 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. 
It's being uptaken in everything. In fact, another recent science study, your listeners can look all this up, I hope they do, concluded that we may be inhaling and or ingesting a total quantity of polymer nanoparticles in as little as a single week to make a credit card. Oh, my God. And again, I'm not vouching for that study. We didn't do that study, but that is a science study, and that is what they concluded. So whatever the amount is, and we now know that polymer fibers are showing showing up deeply embedded in brain tissue. They are crossing the blood-brain barrier. Smaller the particle, the more dangerous it is. And we're talking, for climate engineering, we're talking about nanoparticulates. And I'll leave it with this, Zach. Although all these particles are highly harmful in and of themselves, aluminum, and, and we have mercury in us, all of us do, from coal-fired power plants, amalgam fillings, and some of that appears to be in part of the climate engineering mix because it appears they're using coal fly ash as a base material for <laughs> this operations to provide plausible deniability. It's just wow. it's just ash from the coal fire plant. So when you mix, for example, those two metals, both highly toxic by themselves, aluminum and mercury, when you combine the two, you get what's called synergistic toxicity. And that increases the overall toxicity exponentially as much as, according to a science study, as much as a hundred times worse. That's 10,000% worse. So again, the, the threat we face from this can't be overstated. And there may be, bio, there likely is biologicals here as well. We know there's fungal elements because when you fill the atmosphere with particles, you, you fuel fungal proliferation. It's, I mean, this is absolutely at minimum a slow kill and likely becoming a fast kill. Well, you know, and the thing that's really scary, Dane, is that you could probably take a look at any one of dozens of uh, of subjects a lot like this. You know, like in in for grad school, I, I did a research paper on the effects of uh, water fluoridation in municipal water supplies, all of the various health ailments that come along with that. And I mean, talk about synergistic effects. I mean, we are uptaking any number of uh, probably hundreds of different poisons and chemicals and things that are uh, affecting us in a variety of really deleterious ways. I mean, they are doing nothing short of trying to murder every single one of us and uh, and not necessarily all at once. I, I mean, certainly uh, the sicker we are, the more pharmaceuticals we're going to have to ingest, the more money that we spend on uh, quality of life and, and just trying to stay alive. It's, it's really insidious. And um, let me see. We've got Andre on next. Uh, Fredo also said, uh, Dane, do you have any opinions on the Maui disaster and the dues? We actually touched on that. But blue roofs saved land grab. It's basically disappeared from the news like East Palestine. What don't they want us to know? Let's get Andre first. Andre, are you there? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? We can. Yes. Uh, Go ahead. What's your question for Dane? Thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you, Dane, and thank you, Zach, for both of you guys' this time. I appreciate it. So one of the questions I had was Vortex guy, he brought up the Maui incident mm-hmm. with the aluminum blocks and all that. Something else that I noticed as well was when the houses were all like, at least the ones that all got burnt down, they all looked exactly the same, the ones that were burned down. And that was something that was interesting to me because just like not every house fire is going to happen the same. Sometimes the foundation will be intact and all that stuff. So like, that to me just shows that it was artificial, that it wasn't an accident like they said it was. And then something else that I was wondering as well was you talked about like how those in power or Zach, sorry, you mentioned earlier that they destroy the earth and then they blame it on us, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Does that not affect them as well? Like, 
like won't that affect them eventually too and that's something that always it's like why like what's the end game you know what i mean well you know this gets back to how i what i asked in the beginning dane but i mean it seems like maybe they don't mind killing off 90 percent of the planet i I mean you know certainly they make up at least uh, you know 10 percent or less of that planet so maybe they've got some sort of uh, a contingency plan waiting in the wings it won't matter to them but what do you think Again, the most thorough answer I would recommend listening to the beginning of the broadcast because we did I did cover that very thoroughly, and we're not dealing with sanity. We're dealing with an out of control power structure. But that being said, I, I want to make this clear: those in power could not do what they do without the active or passive support of the majority population, and that fact should not be ignored. So we find ourselves between the proverbial hammer and the anvil a clinically insane power structure and a population that does not want to face reality. We cannot live this way with current technology, grinding up nature to keep the party going. That's a recipe for certain near-term planetary omnicide. So again, we have both factors in this equation and it's, it's imperative. The public realizes we can't continue to live this way either. Are, Are there disaster capitalists? As I said earlier, of course there are, we would expect there to be, but that, is comparable to the pirates filling their pockets with loot on the deck of a sinking ship won't matter for much longer. So we have a very complex equation. And within the ranks of that cancer, there are numerous cores of power that are likely beginning to infight like mafia families that once cooperated begin to infight as there's not enough to go around. So we are hurtling toward Mad Max on planet Earth, most have no idea how close this impact is. And and here's the inevitability part of it. And this is a comparison I make often because it's, I think, quite clear. If If the human race is the occupants in a car going 100 miles an hour, 10 feet from impact into a concrete wall, you can put the brakes on all you want. We are going to hit. And that doesn't mean there's not a reason to try to alter our course. And we can elaborate on that later, Zach. But it means that there's more than enough blame to go around, not just those in power, because they couldn't do what they do without the active or passive support of populations. And that needs to change. We need military members, as Zach correctly stated earlier, to start standing down, stop participating in this. So when we look at that question and we know that our military members are often our neighbors, our family members, then we have to look in the mirror and say, we have seen the enemy and he is us. We have to stop participating with this insanity or we have no chance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree anymore. That's like very, very, it's true. It's really true. So uh, I just had one more question and then I'll end it there. But my okay. other question for you is as far as the, like the micro particles and all that stuff, say you could combat that today. How, how would you go about doing that? If you mean filtering your air uh, again, a nanoparticle is very difficult to filter out. They can coagulate together into larger particles, which can be filtered out, but that's only a a percentage of them. So the bottom line is there's really no place to hide from this. We've tested soil from beneath homes that had not been exposed for several decades, and we found the materials there as well. They had migrated in because they tend to just float around the air column for a long time. So the bottom line is we have to seal this hole in the bottom of the boat or the boat is going to sink. It's sinking now quickly. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you guys. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Thank you for your service. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Next caller coming in and caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? 
Uh, my name is Aaron Moriarty. How you doing? Aaron, good to hear from you, buddy. What's your question for Dane? Um, well, first of all, thank you, Dane. Uh, great show, Zach. And uh, I, how many movies have you made so far, Dane? Well, I, I've been in a number of them. We have two at June Dream Watch that we rely on. One's called Hacking the Planet, shorter version. Our latest and most complete, our crown jewel project is called The Dimming. And we expended into well into six figures to make that film. We wow. made it available. We made it available to the public the moment it was done for free. And I, I won't, I, I'm stating that to show our only mission. My only mission personally is to stop what's happening in our skies and allow the planet to respond on its own or we're done. So uh, yeah. again, the, the dimming would be the most complete, most inarguable proof of climate engineering period. It's on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. And if people share that, it's helpful to share the link from our homepage because Facebook, for example, has done all they can to censor that film. But in spite of that, we're approaching 2 million views on that film in spite of total censorship from Facebook. So we, we need everybody to help us share that film. It's the most complete education on climate engineering, the most inarguable proof of climate engineering. And, and that is the A to Z uh, tutorial on this issue. Excellent. I think you could call call it maybe a Great Dane movie. There you go. Um, the meeting. Aaron, are you there? I, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm still here. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have another uh, comment. You mentioned Fukushima <laughs> and what a dire thing that is. Well, I ha have had this idea for a, a cable-operated robot to go in there and clean it up. And the cables could be very long, but it would be cable-operated, no motors and no servos, and the optics would be would be natural fiber optics as a fiber cable. Any, any type of mechanical anything, when exposed to enough ionizing radiation, ceases to function. And even if something managed to somehow fix the triple nuclear meltdown in Fukushima, mm -hmm. we have Chernobyl about to rear its head again. Many people think Chernobyl is all better now. The sarcophagus is disintegrating. The sarcophagus in the South Seas, where the U.S., without the permission of the inhabitants there, took the nuclear waste from the Nevada nuclear detonations. They took it there and buried it. In a, in a sarcophagus that's also disintegrating. So again, we have more problems than we would like to consider. And we're also facing as societies collapse and they are going to, we will have nuclear meltdowns in too many places to even calculate or consider because it takes several decades to decommission a nuclear plant. And if when societies collapse and the, personnel is not there to maintain the cooling of those facilities, they will go into meltdown. So we have some very big problems we need to address, but we need to start with stopping climate intervention operations. So the planet's life support systems don't completely fail immediately. That could buy us time. Yes. Now there's a nuclear power plant around here, the Kiwani nuclear power plant. It's one of the first ones and they were going to close it years ago. And I was researching it. I looked it up on Google. This is many years ago. And there's four buildings. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I wrote in the, the search, military nuclear 
reactors, and they popped up everywhere. There was dots, and this is just farmland and stuff, everywhere. Now you do that, and it doesn't come up at all. But So there might be a bigger problem than we even know about. You're completely correct. You're completely correct. Thank you for bringing that up. And yes, uh, Google and other search engines are becoming very effective at rat-holing information they don't want people to see. Geoengineeringwatch.org, again, was the, was the top of a search of the geoengineering term about three years ago because we've had 40s, now we're at almost 46 million visitors to our site. Overnight, Google disappeared us. So um, if, you, if you search that term, uh, we don't come up on the top of the search engine now. Not, not if you search the geoengineering term. If you search our exact site name, you can find us, but you have to look and a search of the term, they eliminate us. So they try every way they can to make it hard to find accurate data, but you're correct. So bottom line is what, what does all this show? It shows that we have painted ourselves into an unimaginably dark corner and the desperation in the Middle East, for example, is a manifestation of that. And in regard to what's happening in the Middle East, and this is just one more area of deception, people should ask themselves how it's possible that the most protected border barrier in the world by far, the most monitored by far, a border barrier that is so protected, you can't get anywhere near that barrier without being seen and dealt with. How is it possible that it was breached in 15 separate locations? Jihadists allowed to drive through in an old pickup trucks and old motorcycles and tractors flying over the top of it with lawnmower powered hang gliders and roaming around for seven hours unfettered and then returning with hostages largely unfettered with a couple exceptions. How could that possibly have happened, especially when we know that they were actually posting on social media for two months prior to this attack? Their, some of their training facilities were within sight of the border wall, easily visible from the border wall. There's zero chance that the Israeli government didn't know this was coming. And again, I'm plugging all this into biosphere collapse, the push for global conflict, the the push for limited nuclear exchange, all this is connected. But we now have former Israeli military speaking on the record, saying exactly what I just said. They they monitor the border wall. They're speaking as former Israeli soldiers that there is zero chance that you could get near that wall for five minutes, let alone blow 15 holes in it and roam around for seven hours unfettered. And we also know, this is a matter of record, that Netanyahu and those he, the groups he's associated with and part of the Israeli government helped to fund Hamas, mm-hmm. money funneled through Qatar, and the stated record, this is on the record, it's not my opinion, it's not speculation, Netanyahu wanted to keep Hamas alive and in power to ensure that there would never, ever be a two-state solution, mm-hmm. period. There is so much more to this situation than people understand. It's far more grave than people understand. Absolutely. Yes, we, we've covered that here yeah. on the channel quite a bit in the last several weeks. A lot of people were very surprised to understand that the Israeli government had essentially started Hamas as a uh, counterpoint to the PLO for just the, the reason you just stated. They could not abide by a Palestinian state. And of course, having a uh, terror group in control of this area and not a secular political organization also ensures that terrorist attacks will continue and then it gives an excuse to go on in there and just take everybody out and then they won't have to ever worry about a two-state solution. And I I also saw... Thank you. Again, one more area where you are completely on your game. 
Thank you so much for that. It grieves me to see these innocent people slaughtered. And I, I'm sorry for the Israeli, the Israelis that were killed as well. Of course, I grieve for them, but but they should be looking squarely at their own prime minister for this. And, and one more comment in regard to Iran. I don't necessarily agree with their customs or culture, but Iran has invaded nobody, nobody for 240 years. Again, and we've invaded 100 countries, mm-hmm. stabilized or occupied in the last hundred years alone who's the aggressor who's in everybody else's backyard stealing their resources so this is about so much more and and zach did you happen to cover that there are known to be carbon fuel reserves in gaza jurisdiction underneath gaza and offshore in their jurisdiction that are thought to be worth hundreds of billions of dollars and this is covered by un studies published in uh, uh, 2018 so you have that layer of disaster capitalism as well. There's many layers here, but all of it is uh, not what we're being told. That's actually the first time I've ever heard that. I am not surprised to learn about that, though. I remember shortly before, or maybe it was shortly after we entered Afghanistan after 9-11, they mysteriously found a giant deposit of uh, of lithium, which, of course, you know, yes. is being put to great use right now in Tesla's, exactly. Tesla's all over the world. All right, uh, Aaron, do you have anything else for Dane? One more thing. Maybe we can get AI like ChatGPT to uh, research all of this uh, data and, uh, and and print out some kind of a scientific paper about the truth about the atmosphere and what's going on. Well, unfortunately, cool. it has limited access to the information on the Internet. And even if it had access to the full Internet, unfortunately, there have been so many things that have been wiped away, just memory hold. I remember back in high school, we used to sneak into the engineering building at the local university to go on the Internet and research everything that I had ever wanted to learn. And it was just a a wonderful golden paradise of information. You could find whatever it is that you wanted to look for, whatever subject, nothing was taboo. And I've just watched over the last you know, 25 years as it's uh, essentially been eroded away. But somebody could do it if they had access to all the information. Yes. All right. Aaron, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate your call, man. You betcha. Take care, buddy. And thanks for the great Dane movies. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. All right. So, um, Also, yes, I I saw a a number of statements that were made by former IDF soldiers very confused about what took place. And that was the first thing I said. I, I, you know, I'm I'm like, I'm aware of how far underground these fences go. I'm aware of the uh, electronic surveillance that's there. I mean, a cockroach gets within five feet of the fence and an alarm goes off. They've got one person for every five square meters of fence. Like the only way that this could have happened is if some people within the Israeli government wanted it to happen. And it's controversial. It really is awful what I'm seeing, you know, among, you know, all these various groups. I mean, people, either they hate Israel or they hate the Palestinians. You know, I just don't want people to die. You know, I mean, like I am all for people coming together and being able to learn how to live with each other. And that's the real problem here, Dane, is that we have these disparate groups of people who have over, you know, hundreds of years of, uh, of, of battle and animosity decided that they just can't live with each other and they're unwilling to come together on it. And every single time something like this happens, it makes that, uh, that opinion more and more ingrained. I think, though, in, in this case, again, you do have some enclaves where you had Jewish people and Palestinians, Palestinians living together very oh, peacefully, absolutely, very tolerantly. 
And, and when they've herded the Palestinians into the third most populated patch of dirt on the planet, the, fir- the third most condensed into what amounts to an open air prison. And that's exactly what it is. And Israel controls their food, water supply of everything. And if you look at some of the treatment of the Palestinians, sure. it's absolutely atrocious. And, and we have Israelis speaking out about this mm-hmm. on the record to their credit. We have Jewish people in the IDF speaking out about that they couldn't participate in this anymore. And there's an excellent film, Zach, that gives a very objective history called Peace, Propaganda, and the Promised Land. It can be found online for free. Excellent, excellent expose on what has brought us to this point. So again, I encourage people just to look and listen. Many Israelis don't know this. I saw a, a Jewish woman at a Palestinian uh, co- uh, protest that, you know, trying to, to save the Palestinian civilians. Wonderful woman. If I was there, I would have, I would have absolutely given her a huge hug. And, and there are many other courageous Jewish Israelis that are starting to speak out. In fact, I just heard about two hours ago, Zach, I haven't had time to investigate that now uh, the Jewish people are protesting in the streets of Israel to stop this carnage. Mm. And that's the kind of response we need. And, and you know, before this happened, the Israeli people were protesting Netanyahu and his yeah. criminality. Yes. As yes. soon as this event happens, all that gets forgotten. Poof, and, it's and that, gone. That needs to change. Yeah. 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 And, and let me be more specific. When I mention these two groups of people, I'm not talking about the citizens of either, you know, Gaza or the West Bank uh, or, or the citizens of Israel. We're talking about the leadership. We're talking about these yeah. uh, entrenched yes. New World Order governments that are running yes. these places because they're the yes. only ones who are benefiting from the bloodshed on both sides. Um, And and before we bring in the next caller, uh, I think Casey is next. Freight Awakening says, way off topic, but I absolutely love the shirt that Dan is wearing. It looks silky and comfy. I love your shirts too, Zach, but not my favorite tonight. (laughs) There's This is still from the same company, and there there are Second Amendment positive messages in this shirt if you take a close enough look. But he says, thank you both for this conversation. It needed to be had. Okay, thank you so much, Fredo. Let's bring in Casey, if I'm right. Casey, is that you? It is. Howdy, Zach, and uh, welcome, Dane. Um, you know, you opened up the show. Uh, this is an off-topic off subject, but you said uh, about blue skies. Uh, some of the research I've been doing, the ancient Greek texts, all the literature, even the Bible, never mentions the color blue, whether it's a blue sky or blue seas. So I just found that kind of ironic in the sense of, Maybe we're just seeing a different sky than those people, you know, thousands of years ago uh, in the sense of, you know, the spectrum and everything. Um, Also, uh, I just I don't want to challenge you, Dane, but I just I've got to get to some critical baseline research. Um, First of all, you said that the aluminum and the jets and everything flying around uh, is turning the soil uh, into dirt, but it's also being very alkaline. And as a horticulturalist, I do know the difference in alkaline and acid because back in the 80s, we had acid rain. Uh, so you're just saying we've gone from acid acidized soil to now alkaline soil due to no, the aircraft? It's very important to take this into context. Bioavailable aluminum pushes the pH factor toward neutral from either side of neutral. And that is important to understand and recognize. So it's not just an increasing alkaline scenario. 
it pushes the, the pH needle toward neutral from either side of neutral. Right. And when we were going through the whole ozone scare, you know, that was it. It was acid rain. So I just looked at the, you know, the benefits of living in Michigan and, you know, every acid loving plant did really, really well. Uh, but, you know, uh, and also all the paint jobs on the Chrysler cars, not only were they crap, but they all started to peel and they said it and they blamed it on, you know, acid rain, the, the easy victim and the ozone layer. Uh, and just, I, I've got such a problem with the climate crazies and I'm not calling you that. I'm just saying now with their, you know, they're trying to blame everything, whether it's cow parts or whatever. Uh, I, I hate to have the fatalistic attitude toward climate change in the sense that they're both out of our control in the sense of the factors, whether it's axial precession, all right, the earth's wobble, uh, or it's solar flares. There's nothing you're going to do about solar flares, and there's nothing you're really going to do about the earth's wobble. Can I answer, uh, can I answer your questions before you get too far down the road? I, I, if, if I can absolutely. answer them, I my time. If I could address those. The conclusion that any of the current earth changes we see are attributable, attributable to natural or cosmological factors is st a statistical zero. And here's the comparison I want to make. That is like finding, as I, I may have said earlier, if you find a body in the street that's been run over, stabbed, beaten, shot, burned, and blown up, and you try to argue they died of a heart attack, you couldn't make that argument. We have the premise of Occam's razor. That's a scientific premise that we, we cannot ignore these direct cause and effect factors and if we take the ozone layer, which we know climate engineering will decimate, and the climate science community doesn't argue that it will, they simply don't admit that it has already happened, we are metering UV radiation on the surface, and it's not an alarmist scenario. We're metering it. We have a former NASA contract engineer that works directly for us with state-of-the-art equipment, and we have monitored the increase in the last decade. It's staggering, alarming. It's a very near-term existential threat. We're getting not only extraordinarily high levels of UVB on the surface, we're getting UVC. If you're a horticulturist, you would, you'll know this, yeah. that we have a factor called VPD, vapor pressure deficit, and almost no one is addressing this except geoengineeringwatch.org. When you put these desiccant particles in the atmosphere, you're not only destroying the ozone layer, poisoning soil microbiome, and disrupting the hydrological cycle. In certain instances of seeding, they desiccate the atmosphere. They dry out the humidity. And there's not enough humidity in the forest and our forests don't smell like forests anymore because there's so little humidity. You have the vapor pressure deficit factor, which means trees and crops do the same. They shut their stomata, their respiratory ports, so they don't yeah. breathe. They don't oh, inhale carbon. Right. They don't release oxygen. They don't grow. And so we add all this into the equation and we have collapsing ecosystems all over the globe. And at the current rate of ozone layer deterioration and, on, and the UVC component again we're not being told that's even hitting the surface and it is we've seen an increase of over a hundred percent in uvc since last year and if that continues again we are perilously close to functional ozone layer collapse that has nothing to do with solar cycles nothing to do with the wobble of the earth it has to do with human activity with climate engineering at the top of the ladder so i, I again statistically okay. mathematically and statisticians have done these calculations the notion that the current earth changes are attributable to factors other than human activity is a statistical zero. It doesn't mean I like AOC, doesn't mean I like Al Gore, doesn't mean I like any of the environmental right. groups. 
But nevertheless, we need to look at reality. Well, and that's it. But then, you know, my biggest problem with, like I said, the climate crazies and the Al Gore's of the world, they never admit when they're wrong. All right. All their models are so far off. And that goes to the baseline of you talked about the samples, you know, and having original samples. Well, what kind of container were those put in? Is it going to, you know, uh, uh, breed off a, let, a special? Let, let me answer that before you get too far. Uh, you're right about the sure. data being skewed. You're right. But it's being skewed in the opposite direction of most want to believe. The planet is far warmer than we're being told. In fact, based on unfiltered frontline data, it appears we have blown past 3.5 degrees of warming since baseline. And a baseline graph that's completely fictitious. When they drew the baseline in the early 1900s, you had a period of warming that already occurred below that baseline. So when you draw the baseline far too high in the graph, it looks like you're just starting to warm when it's already been warming for a half century. So everything is skewed, falsified, but it's all in the opposite direction of most want to think. It's far worse than we're being told. In regard to those baseline pH samples, those were done by USDA soil scientists with scientific methods. I have the original science studies. We are very familiar okay. with sampling protocol. Very familiar. Okay. Are you familiar, Dane, with the uh, lake Vostok core samples and the research that they produced? Uh, what's your point? Uh, how we haven't been able to control, you know, we haven't been able to affect the, the climate We're going through these surges, like I say, whether it's solar flares, whether it's the actual procession. I don't want to extrapolate off of those because I've mentioned them, but I think those are core samples that, first of all, let me ask you in the sense of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, did or did not they send off isotopes that help in the process of carbon dating? Uh, well, again, we're all over the board here. And, and I, I, I understand I the point you're trying to make, but I, I simply don't agree with you. The bottom line is we have to look at Occam's razor, the cause and effect of human activity in regard to the earth changes that are happening. And it's absolutely undeniable. The changes that are happening now are happening in geologic timeframes hundreds of times faster than at any point in Earth's geologic past. So to attribute this to some natural cyclical process, let's look at the Maunder minimum that many refer to as, as something that is pushing us. They still, there's still people that claim we're heading into an ice age right now, and I don't know what planet they're on, but they're not on this one. The Maunder minimum affected solar irradiance by dropping it point. 25%. That's one 400th reduction against the backdrop of what we've done to the planet to increase thermal energy buildup. A maunder minimum would mean nothing against that. The planet's currently heating statistically and mathematically at the thermal energy equivalent rate of seven Hiroshima bombs per second. That includes the ocean heating, which ocean heating is going off the scale. Everything is dying in the ocean. Did you see that Florida recorded ocean temperatures of 101 degrees two months ago. The Amazon just recorded ocean water temperatures of 102 degrees. Everything died in those regions. I mean, it, again, I could go on and on. But, but to, to uh, ignore... I, I can agree with you on that. I've been to the uh, Great Barrier Reef. I've seen what's happening with the coral. I've been there, too, on there's two a... expeditions. Absolutely. I've been there myself. And I'd love to get into Antarctica to do some research myself. But I'm just saying you can't talk about uh, a contaminant as a, as a constant, like 
uh, let's say oil, okay? Since the induction of the car, oil is the main question, I'd be grateful because we're all over the board. It seems like you're fishing to find something I don't know about. And, and you have, no, no. if you could I just, pick a specific question, I, I would be very grateful. Well, I'm just saying I think we're evolving uh, on the planet Earth as some species are eradicated, whether naturally or by man, whatever, a new species will, will take its place. I think we're on a spinning ball of evolution that, you know, because, you know, uh, trees are dying in, you know, uh, uh, the, the parasite, paradise fire, okay? And, you know, you, you, you mentioned the fire uh, in Quebec, you know, well, in 1780, before any, you know, geophysical engineering by man, uh, we had the dark day in May. All right. Okay. Look, I, okay. so all over the board. So, I, I, I want to end this line of questioning, and I'll answer this last question. Sure. I, I would like to stop because we're all over the yeah. board. Bottom line is tree cover now on planet Earth today, because I'm trying to answer your questions, but I want to have a limit to this. Tree cover Absolutely. today is down 65% from pre-dawn of civilization. We've lost 65% of the trees that were here before the dawn of civilization, and the remaining 35% is dead and dying. We have tree cover in the higher elevations of the Sierras, for example, that have not been burned, 80% mortality. Nothing natural about this. And we have an extinction rate today that's a million and a half percent of normal. We're losing two to 300 species of plant, animal, and insect to day to extinction. That's 15,000 times background rate, a million and a half percent of normal. Nothing normal or natural about that. So again, there's no rational way to deny that the human race has laid waste to the planet and we won't be around much longer if we continue. I'd like to leave it there. All right. Okay. Casey, we got to take All the right. last my, callers here, buddy. We, my, my last point on this, because I just like to rebut what he said. Uh, I was always under the impression and even the great Rush Limbaugh said, you know, to the environmental crazies, he said, there are more trees now in the United States than when, the United States was founded because for every one tree that gets taken out, five more are planted. So I'm sorry, we had true. more trees now <laughs> than then. So yeah. if that fact is okay, okay, go go ahead. Can I respond to this? Uh, yeah, yeah, Zach, go, go ahead. Could. Yeah, go ahead. That's absolutely untrue. It's statistically impossible to back up what you just said. I've planted trees. I've lived in the forest. My father was an arborist. I used to be able to plant 250 trees in a day. And I had a 95% success rate. My, me personally, I could plant 250 plugs in a day. They're genetically modified for the region. 95% success rate. The success rate now is zero. Zero. Nothing makes it through the first year. And any notion that there's more trees now than there was, I, I please, I would in, invite, Zach, all your listeners to try to find any data to support that. Uh, and and I, I did a broad, big broadcast this morning in San Francisco and someone called in. He said he's an entomologist and there's a lot of bugs in his windshield and there's, there's no problem with the amount of bugs. And what I said to him, to, or to the listeners, you can believe what he says or you can look up insect apocalypse and see how much verification of insect population crash there is from around the globe. I'm asking people to actually research and not go off what someone said at some point somewhere and assume that's truth. Research, data, statistics, 
and reason. That's what needs to be in this equation. Okay. Casey, thank you so much for your call, brother. I really appreciate it. And uh, you guys, we have three callers on the line. I'm going to ask each of you to please be brief because we have less than 10 minutes left in the show. Call, the show. call, caller, make sure call, call, caller, make sure you mute your stream. Okay. And can we get okay. your name? Can, and can we get your Need you to mute the stream. Need you to mute the stream. Name is Richard. Richard, welcome to the program. Richard, welcome to the program. I'm my my voice is still I'm, coming my, through, buddy. My voice is still coming through, buddy. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute you. Go ahead and try to get that that uh, that that issue taken care of. We're gonna take the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? It's uh, Mike. Mike, welcome to the program. Uh, sorry to rush you. We've got only five minutes left. So briefly, what's your question for Dane? All right. So um, it's more of a statement, I guess. For all the information that there is about climate change, there's also information about, like, not global warming, but global colding, I guess. It's getting colder, not hotter. Okay. Uh, and I hear you, that all these people put out climate information because saying that it's getting hot, but it's really not because that's the only way they get paid. That's the only way they get funded is if they stay with the narrative Mike, what I would encourage you to do is actually research and not go from the sites who are paid to give that impression. If people are making money, it can't be true. And we went over that earlier. That is not the case. It's like saying, well, people make money off wars, so therefore the war must not be real, must not have happened. People must not have died. And that's simply not a rational reason to conclude that. So bottom line is planet's not just warming. We are facing an abrupt climate collapse. and Temperatures are virtually off the scale in every place, they're not doing chemical ice nucleation to temporarily cool the surface. So, again, I'm asking people to look at data and not not just adopt a narrative like that that's put out by sites that are paid to put that kind of narrative out. The equation is much more complex than saying someone's making money so it can't be real. It's much more complex than that. All right. Thank you very much for your call. And I, I would also say that uh, uh, just because... Yeah, there's obviously a lot of misinformation out there specifically on the topic of climate change, because the people who are out there talking about climate change are talking about it from the perspective that it's your fault and that you're the only reason that this is happening. And the information that they point to or the data points that they are using to support their own arguments, of course, it's going to be flawed. We're talking about a much more nuanced, uh, although wider ranging sort of phenomenon that's happening here. And uh, Dane is coming at it from a different perspective than what you would traditionally see if you turned on MSNBC. Okay, um, let's see. We're going to try the the caller who had an issue with the uh, the speakers coming through. Caller, are you, can you go ahead and unmute? And let's try this again. And if you're unable to unmute, then we're going to go ahead and call it a caller. You are unmuted. Caller, your yeah. your your your, your speakers are still coming through. Speakers are still coming through. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and uh, we'll try that one next time. So sorry about that, but definitely got to make sure that your speakers are uh, are muted. And one final caller here tonight, and then we'll sign off. Thank you very much to Nakaz808 over on the Foxhole. And uh, Colin, you're on the air, uh, just waiting for your microphone to connect. And let's see... Yes, yes. Colin, I uh, hate to rush you, buddy, but we've only got two minutes left. So what's your wow. question for, for Dane? Okay, well, there was a few things. First of all, I wanted to say thumbs up. Finally, there's a man out here that has knowledge on all the aspects of all the things that 
you've been right on, Zach. I've been right on, and a lot of us have been right on, even though the the people around us. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick. So thank you, sir. The other one, the uh, the fear mongering, the fear the fear porn thing. I would simply relate that to the same thing with slander. If it's not slander, if it's true, so I would say it's not fear porn if it's true. Which again, you just said, go find out for your bloody selves. I'm so sick of ch these children. Anyway, the other thing I, I'm going to have to jump. There's a few things I want to make nanoparticles as a possible solution. I don't know. I'm thinking of attraction and stuff. I also know there was a uh, some sort of chemical compound that God gave me. I have no idea what it was. I looked it up. Some guy had a patent on it, and it was a way to literally, like a sponge, uh, uh, absorb radiation, and then they were able to actually reuse it. So what my point is simply this. I believe that, man, if we were working together and if we would use the other brain cells, we could come up with solutions. However, we can't do it as long as these people in positions of public trust continue to be doing what they're doing the first thing you got to do is stop the guy from punching holes in your boat so with that solution in mind i believe that a thing called mandatory competency testing needs to put into place so that these people in positions of public trust will be removed and replaced with people that are are honorable are knowledgeable and do give a damn does this make sense thank you colin on all on all fronts Thank you, sir. I'm, we're on the same page, 100%. All counts with you. Please, please email me at, um, L, uh, um, wait a minute, mctnow at proton.me. mctnow. If you want to send, send a contact to us at admin at geoengineeringwatch.org, Colin, that would be the best way because I don't have anything to write with. Admin at geoengineeringwatch.org. That's how anybody contacts us. Thank you, Zach. Thank right. you for the opportunity today. No problem. Colin, thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So, uh, Dane, uh, you know, at the end of the program, I always like to ask my guests what you would most like the audience to take away from our conversation tonight. And along with that, if you can give us perhaps any action items or give us any hope for the future, considering how dire the situation is as it's been presented. I'll tie those two points together. Those in power are not gods and we are not helpless. And we need to start behaving as such. And you you make this battle move forward by taking steps that are effective and efficient. We're playing chess. We need to learn how to play well. Start spot fires of awareness with credible data from a credible source. Geoengineeringwatch.org strives to be that source. Share links to the dimming, for example, with authors of environmental articles or farm groups, agricultural groups, elected officials, and CC other people in their constituency with that. So they see other people listening to the conversation, start spot fires of awareness, stoke those fires till they can't be hidden. A bonfire that causes a shockwave around the globe, exposing what's happening in our skies. If we can do that, we would alter the equation in the right direction. That needs to happen much sooner than later. We're out of time. So again, from geoengineeringwatch.org to share the links and to encourage others to do the same. If we can expose this, Zach, we have a chance of stopping, as you so correctly said, from the inside out. All right. Amen. And final thank yous to CraneOp59. He says, good to listen and see you again, Dane. It's been many years. That's my fault. Very informative updates. And thank you. Uh, see you down the road, Zach. We'll see you later. And then Andre says, thank you so much for another wonderful stream, Zach. And thank you to Dane. I will definitely do more research. The truth is important. So the website is geoengineeringwatch.org. 
The film is The Dimming. Links for both are in the description below. Dane, you are welcome back anytime, my friend. Thank you to everybody out there in the chat. Don't forget to check out the sponsors of the program. Links are in the description. Onenessdrops.com. Use code REDPILL78 to get 15%, excuse me, RP78 to get 15% off your chlorine dioxide water purification kits. We will see you guys on Monday. Good luck and God bless.